Are you interested in improving your procurement and negotiation skills and understanding? Well, this is the podcast for you. The Procurement Podcast with Andy and Christoph. Well, hello and welcome to another Procurement Podcast. My name's Andy Franks uh, from Bright Sky Clear Mind and I'm here with my co-host Christophe Barrier-Vajou. Good morning, Andy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good, yeah. I'm still having a bit of trouble with all this wet weather and it's, uh, it's causing havoc with highbrows. But uh, <laughs> apart from that, it's all good, yeah. Fantastic. So uh, we've got a procurement podcast with a difference today. Um, I'd like to uh, first welcome uh, Hudson Worsley and Monica Richter to uh, the procurement podcast. And um, perhaps if we start with you, Monica, if you could just give me a, a little uh, introduction and, and share with our listeners um, who you are. Great. Well, really lovely to have been invited to be on this podcast. My name is Monica Richter. I work at WWF Australia as the Low Carbon Futures Program Manager, and I've been at WWF for about seven years, uh, working on a range of different projects. I'm a project director for the Business Renewable Centre, helping companies and organisations to procure renewable electricity through large-scale power purchase agreements. I also run the Science-Based Targets Initiative here in Australia, which is an initiative, global initiative, to help companies to align with the Paris Agreement targets about keeping warming well below 2 or 1.5 degrees and focusing on your scopes 1, 2 and 3 emissions. So that's how uh, this project, MECLA, the Materials and Embodied Carbon Leaders Alliance, started because I wanted to find ways to support different industry sectors to drive their supply chain, you know, value chain emissions down through a collaboration approach. So one of my core values is collaborating uh, with industry and, and you know, governments, the coalition of the willing, so to speak, to, to really drive that change. And a few years ago, started really thinking about this and uh, approached Hudson about whether we might do, and, and Hudson's colleague Ben, orders to see if we could uh, do some work in this area and really drive emission reductions down the supply chain ecosystem of the construction and building sectors. I have to say that's the best introduction we've had by the <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful. Thank you. Great. Uh, and, and Hudson, perhaps a... Yes, hello. Well, thanks very much for... Um, including me in, in this with, with Monica. Um, so I, I run a, a small consultancy with a business partner. Um, our business is called Precinct, and essentially it's sustainability and climate change. From a, a mitigation side of things, we look at renewable energy, again, collaborating with Monica and WWF, um, helping organisations use less energy, understand how much energy they use, use renewables and storage on site where they can, and then for the balance, buy renewables through the, through the grid. And then from a, a risk point of view, climate change risk assessment and adaptation for business and, and local and state government entities, just to understand how do they prepare for the changes that are locked in, but also try to avoid any further changes, again, through that, that mitigation. So we're a small consultancy, but see ourselves in the kind of the middle of our own ecosystem of experts and if we need a, spe a specialist in a particular discipline we'll bring them in again collaboration is key to how we operate we happen to sublease our office space inside the wwf headquarters or panda headquarters and so uh the the collaborative conversations over the coffee machine happen quite well deliberately and, and the beer and the beer, and the and the beer. beer. afternoon beers we should, <laughs> we should mention beer very strategic beers actually um but yeah and 
Precinct was involved very much in the Renewable Energy Buyers Forum, which has grown into the Business Renewable Centre Australia, which is similar, not surprisingly, a similar model of bringing market participants together to affect a significant change. And so from an energy point of view, that means what renewable energy projects are available in the market and then which customers could buy that renewable energy, but what are the mechanisms in between? What's the complexity? What's the risk? Uh, what are the commercials? What's the business case? S having seen the success of that collaborative intervention that um, we've now thought, well, energy, that transition is well underway. It's a, it, that's the biggest ticket that we can from, a car from reducing carbon. Next big, ugly and even messier item is embodied carbon in the construction sector. Yeah. Knowing that that model of the collaborative coalition of the willing, bit of a um, buyer's group, information gathering, networking, sharing the ideas at a pre-competition stage, um, that's what we're wanting to do with Mecla. And there are other examples, the Better Buildings Partnership, a lot of the work with the Green Building Council and the way it produces its tools, whether it was Green Star Communities or or whatever their, their tools are, the industry comes together, works on how do we shift this, how do we all benefit, so not fighting over the slice of the pie but all wanting to grow the pie, then we do that as the group and then individually each business can go and fight over their slice as much as they want and that's what we want to harness. So, so part of this model is based on an impact procurement model. So it is bringing organisations together uh, to, who are interested in the procurement piece to then drive impact through their collective buying power. Uh, but, you know, we, we didn't call it a buyer's alliance. We called it a leader's alliance because it's not just the buyers who are at the table. We have representation from across different industry sectors who are leaders or want to be leaders in this area. And it gives it more of a that strategic feel because this is such a crucial, you know, yeah, top of the agenda piece that, mm. that if, if it's not addressed, then whatever you call an alliance is, is not going to bring oh, any value to it. That's right, Andy. And, and so many of the, the barriers. So I, I should say once WWF and Precinct had decided, yep, let's, let's collaborate on this, we were grateful to receive some seed funding from New South Wales government to do a research piece into, well, what does the value chain of construction look like? To start that, we, we mapped out a development life cycle and I've got a bit of a property background. So mapped out from conception to pre-design to contracting and, and so, so on through to commissioning. But we quickly realized that it's, it's not linear. It, it is in fact an ecosystem. And so we need to be more than a buyer's alliance because we need to inform many of the decision makers in that ecosystem that aren't just buying. And so. There, there are standards, there are codes, there are rating mechanisms. There is so much inertia in business as usual procurement, as you experts yeah, would know. Oh, but we did it, we've always done it that way, let's keep going that way, it's safe. Yeah. Well, it was safe, but we're now playing with, you know, the, the atmosphere. Safe has led to, not necessarily deliberately, but it, we've got externalities of high carbon intensity materials as business as usual. But to break that, we then need documented examples of where it's worked elsewhere. That's not just for buyers, that's for 
producers. That's for the, again, the codes, the rating mechanisms, the procurement professionals and, and so on. And I think that's just on that point. I think, you know, from a procurement professional's position, it's one of the things that we try to explore on the procurement podcast is how people get so wrapped up in, in old school practices that in fact it, you know, it, we're, you know, they're just concentrating on the end bit, but so our codes won't allow us to do this. And that's the point you've alluded to that the reality of it is all bets are off. We've got this a different game now. It's um, a very different game. So the North Star is net zero yeah. well before 2050. You know, it's been clear the science is telling us that we have to halve emissions globally between now and 2030. So there's a sense of urgency. And the only way we're going to achieve that is by collaboration across different industry sectors. So as companies are driving towards their net zero emissions, you know, they've dealt with electricity. You know, it's a, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Uh, the So it's all about how they reduce their emissions within their industry, but also within their companies, but also their supply chain. So that shift in thinking, the urgency of that, issue, you know, what the science is saying, the fact that we've got companies making those science-based target commitments, you know, is really driving that. So you've got uh, a number of the cement companies have globally set those targets, aluminium companies, you know, a lot of those heavy industrial companies have set targets. You've got a number of companies within the building sector, Dexas, Investor, you know, Lend-Lease and others are, you know, working through phrases, are working through their science-based targets. And so this shift is occurring exponentially and rapidly. <laughs> it is. And another element of supply is capital. And the, the TCFD, the Task Force for Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, its recommendations paper is really starting to inform fiduciary responsibility for the boards of listed companies and then any other board member who's 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 got their 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 blinkers off will will start to register that they need to one understand the carbon exposure of their business they need to report against that and they need to have a, a strategic plan to say well what are we going to do about it and so super funds the big managed funds are saying, well, okay, we own a slice of that airport. Oh, what's, what's the carbon impact of that airport? We're going to do another runway. How much carbon are we locking into that runway? And so as well as the cement maker who's providing cement for that runway, the funder, the funds for that runway are also onto this. So again, an ecosystem is a very apt description. So, uh, Hudson, just a quick, a quick comment. That study that you initially uh, have done is for Australia only? It, it is, but the lessons that m most of the findings are applicable globally. And so from an impact point of view, we know that steel and cement combined are generating more emissions than all of the cars in the world. So if, if you don't have to be a greenie to go, wow, that's a lot. So, because we know tailpipe emissions from, from traffic is, is big, but when you think how ubiquitous concrete and steel are, that's a big number and that's global. Yes, our focus is national, but we recognise that supply chains are international. Yeah. A lot of materials come from overseas and that, that adds another complexity to a life cycle assessment to say, well, I can get lower emission steel from overseas, but then it has to sit on a container ship and get here. What does that add to the, the full equation? 
So the, the, the initial findings of the studies that you've, you, you kind of were expected, expecting to find those, or is there a few things that you found was like, well, I was not thinking it was that big? I think the, the scale of the issue didn't surprise me because this is the world that Monica and I work in and we know the size of the challenge. I think the pleasant surprise was the, the willingness, the level of willingness to participate. Um, the, the, the number of organisations, the land leases of the world saying, no, 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 we're, we're, we're onto this. We start, it's, it's hard, but we want to do it. That, that preparedness, I think, was a, a positive surprise. When you're looking at how you intervene in a system, you know, you have to look at what those intervention points are and then what those levers for change are. Yeah. And you know, that's in any social change process. So that, that was the research brief to look at, at identifying what those intervention points are. One of those was a buyer's alliance. You know, one of those was around putting together industry uh, precincts. Another was around, you know, financing. You know, there, there were quite a few uh, intervention points that really helped us to identify what what it was but but there was no single intervention point so you know that uh, collaboration across different parts of the ecosystem was very important uh, so that was where the recommendation for setting up an impact procurement model um, came from government procurement was one of the fundamental levers. That was the consistent yeah. feedback, wasn't it, Absolutely, Hudson? and that's simply because of the size of the checks that are written by government. The, the big infrastructure projects, the roads, the railways, the football stadia, add those together and that is the big chunk of procurement. And it's also, and because of that, it's a leverage point. Once government contracts start to change, that can lead the way for private sector to follow and, and then the, the fragmented and how have you found it was I'm intrigued by how government procurement uh, uh, manifests and operates in, in the current climate how have you found their response to that is there is there been push pull so we have uh, in a very close relationship with the New South Wales Department of planning infrastructure and environment DPI DPI uh, and DPI so that so that's so our initial funding has come from that from them and from the low carbon materials uh, program that Minister Keane kicked off and announced with, as part of the net zero uh, program, that you know very ambitious program to drive this industry sector, which is you know really really exciting to be a part of. So they're sort of reaching out to procurement agencies, you know health, transport, education, all, education, all across New South Wales government, and it's. Yeah, I was going to say, my, my gut feel is, is like the broader procurement world. Government procurement's not dissimilar. So th there are parts that are pressing them to say, hey, we've got to cut emissions. And there will be, for good reason, there'll be other parts saying, not so fast. We've got to make sure bridges don't fall down and, and that trains work and so on. So there's, there's an understandable caution. But there's also the policy drive to say, actually, we've, we've really got to slash emissions. So, and let me just, just finish on this point. So we've engaged not just New South Wales government. We've been speaking to the Victorian government, Queensland government, South Australia and the ACT. And all of them have some kind of ambitious 
plans, not just about net zero, by the way, we're talking about circular economy, needing to do something quickly to deal with the significant waste issue that we are faced with now, you know, having, you know, China rejecting our, our waste. So all, both of those issues are conspiring to force the procurement agencies in each of the jurisdictions to get on the program and start moving in this direction. So yeah. there is actually quite a lot of interest so, from the so procurement agencies Yeah, now. so there's a real groundswell of, of yeah. And they don't know what to do about it. Yeah. So is, is it uh, the, at the government level, uh, do you feel that they, they have the uh, the skills to approach this? Is this part of, you know, number one on the agenda or is it still number 10 and we'll have to address it in the future? I mean, what is the drive at the government level at uh, the moment? Again, I'd say I think it's... It's similar to that in the private sector that it is one of the drivers, but just like the private sector, they're balancing, you know, they're balancing the books, they're balancing stakeholder expectations, they're balancing, and and they're balancing election promises as well. Um, so like, the whole like, the horizon of those initiatives, um, obviously, you know. Uh, uh, are they looking at the, the next twenty years, or are they looking at something to be done in the next 12, 24 months? I'd say I'd say both. Yeah. So you know, Victorian government said, "Oh, we've got fifty billion dollars of infrastructure that we're going to invest in in the next thirty years." And of course, you know, they want to. They've got a net zero target. They want to be able to drive emission reductions, including within the infrastructure sector. And each of the state governments have that kind of spend on their hmm. uh, books. Treasuries starting to think about how they drive these emission reductions and they're starting to look at those procurement decisions. So what what the one one of the findings was that you know price seems to take precedent, doesn't it? Yes. So we, we we've been saying in our build up phase that time, cost, quality have been the three key elements and we want to add carbon as a fourth. So then there are and not that the other three don't matter. Of course they matter. But we can't look at it without considering carbon. Absolutely, because that sort of traditional triangle of, of, of procurement decision-making now needs to become the square. And actually, mm-hmm. where you can say, because without, if you haven't got the key corner of yeah. it, which is, which is environment, which is impact on the planet. Mm. And this comes, comes to one of the points we were discussing prior to the podcast about ultimately who's the ultimate customer. Yes. Uh, and, you know, whether it's our children or our grandchildren or the planet or, you know, the, the, the voters, you know, mm. or the stakeholders, you know, there's so many different ways of, of looking at it. Um, but how, I mean, from your uh, perspective in terms of the acceptance of, of the, that fourth corner being put into, into play, there's, there seems to be, from what you're saying, a, a willingness. I think so. I'm conscious of being in a, in a bubble yeah. where I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this, agenda with with Meckler and I'm I'm hearing positive things but I'm also talking to the sustainability people in various organizations or we're talking to the the leaders in the organization that have this as a core value um, so at the moment most of the conversations are very positive because it's the person from an oricon or a transurban or a a built or an infra build. And of course, the person who's engaged with us is all about this. When they go back to the, you know, to their accountants and say, now this project might take another three weeks because the setting times of the batching process is different, or we're just going to have to pause that while we source X material. 
that's where the time and the cost are impacted, that is, there'll be a rub. There's, and, there's no and question. And that's one of the classic procurement challenges anyway, because I always think the procurement isn't just a, a buying process. It's also an internal selling process where you have to make a decision based on you know, all the data that you've got mm. that actually, yeah, it is going to take three weeks more and it's going to cost us more. But the, the, the ultimate impact is, is going to be far better. Oh, and I'd also say as having a bit of a project management background is you know, there are very many activities that can be done in parallel in a project. And so if even if batching takes three weeks longer, it doesn't mean tools down, fellas, let's go to the beach. It yeah. means let's do the other things in preparation. So, Or you just start that three-week process a little bit earlier yeah. so that you have time. So it's about change management more than it is about um, you know, breaking the system. I, I would say, though, Andy... We need to go before procurement because there's a lot in the design process where procurement should be involved, yeah. but dematerialization of design can also help cut carbon out of out of the building. So can you explain that? Okay, so not only for me, but, but for we're, we're sitting in a in a heritage warehouse in Ultimo in Sydney and looking up, there are big steel beams holding up the wooden bearers in, in the ceiling above me. Now that steel is gargantuan in its scale. It, that is a big beam. Now, it may be that that's over-engineered. I'm not an engineer, so I don't know. But if all of the brackets and the beams in any building uh, have a ruler run over them to say, does it have to be that big? What if we used a better quality steel that costs more, but we needed substantially less of it? Or why, why, why are we over-engineering our, our pillars? And so on. Now, that takes a little bit of time, but this came from our, our feedback in the research when we were doing our, our foundation report. Several of the engineers and architects said, yeah, but think of the floor, floor plate gain if your pillars are smaller. Times 20 in a 20-storey building, there's a commercial benefit yeah. as well as a carbon and benefit. And that's often the, the thing you've got to be able to demonstrate to get the, get the buy-in. Because if, right. if you don't, if, if uh, dare I say, our finance team confronted with with you know the cost material costs going up and they say well actually you can now squeeze the challenge out from a from a conventional procurement point of view comes when if you ask the question at procurement hang on if we bought a better quality um, component could we have less you're then going back to the market so how do you go back to the the designers and the engineers in a competitive process that isn't collusion so one thing I want to say about that, and it's the other part of that pre-contract phase, is getting some of the different parties to the table to actually talk through what kind of specification they might need for or what kind of product is available. And just as, as an example, you know, we've heard from some of the concrete manufacturers who are sitting in Meckler. If you'd come to us in the first place and asked us what what uh, low carbon products we had and what specifications we had, we'd be able to tell you and then you could actually put it into the procurement uh, tendering contracts. But, but because that do stage doesn't happen, yeah. it's off often an afterthought or there's not enough ability to build a scale to, to manufacture that. So it's that. almost like trying to retrofit in, into the process. I see. There is also the... Uh, the, the uh, the life of the product that is being used to this, are we, are we looking at building a, a building with a, a, a one life 
or are we thinking about this product having multiple lives where the, the building gets destroyed or decommissioned? Can we reuse some of that to then further uh, reduce the carbon emission? And the other aspect, you mentioned about cost quality uh, um, elements time and, and time, carbon. especially nowadays with the, uh, the global supply chain being impacted is the, the strategic element of it. Uh, are we still dependent on international supplies and the risk of that? Or are we also perhaps at a higher cost, but willing to develop internal markets within Australia, within states, within regions, down to the town level? Because all of this will have an impact on carbon right. emission as well. So what is, you know, I talked about the frame of reference. What is the beginning and what is the end and who are our customers? And then based on that, what is the optimal um, solution? Um, that is going to be long-lasting, not just as a one-off building, but as a building that can be deconstructed and reconstructed yes. somewhere else. I mean, there are complexities, I think, for some of those buildings. So concrete and cement is very much a local product that's you know, manufactured locally. You know, you wouldn't be exporting or importing a lot of that from overseas, whereas steel, different kinds of steel, aluminium, different kinds of aluminium products and glass products. I mean, it's not readily available to the specifications of the, the buyers here. So we have to think about if, if we want, if Australia wants to be an advanced manufacturing country, again, in brackets, uh, what investment and what industry policies need to, what microeconomic reforms need to happen to enable that to occur so that we do create more sophisticated supply chains that are vertically integrated for Australia to create you know, jobs of the future. So that's, you know, I, I really see and Do we have that. the skills currently? Do we or do Who we not? Knows? We don't know, you know, whether or not that whole education needs to happen before you can create a new market, a new industry in the manu local manufacturing. You know, if we go That's into right. a small remote towns in northern New South Wales and we want to reduce the impact of carbon footprint by moving trucks across states, what will it take to develop that skills locally and build manufacturing center, uh, decentralized manufacturing center in those places in order to build the next building up in Port Macquarie, for example? So that's where, you know, WWF Australia has a 700% Australia is a renewable energy powerhouse campaign. Today we launched our scorecard on oh, how each of the yeah. jurisdictions are going. So Tasmania number one, South Australia number two, in not just committing to 100% renewables for each state around renewable electricity, but also what further opportunities there are for driving a renewable nation. So manufacturing that relies on a decarbonised electricity grid that drives renewable hydrogen for the manufacture of our industrial precincts, you know, where we can be doing the, the steel and the aluminium and some of these heavier industries there, but it's driven by a whole new mindset of that uh, re repurposing it towards renewable that, that's hydrogen. In, that's incredibly exciting, almost almost exhilarating when you hear it in, in the spoken about in these terms. But it's the, the challenges around the, the practical steps to, particularly from a procurement function. Coming back to Christoph's point, is I, I, 
do, do procurement leaders have have those skills, or if not, how can how can they best be supported to, to get them to that position? Um, well, just like the Barangaroo, you know, Lendlease built Barangaroo, and as part of that, they had uh, the TAFE. You know, I think they partnered with TAFE to actually train the builders on site mm. on the use of some of the lower carbon materials and all those products. I mean, it was a fantastic partnership yeah. there. They need we need to be doing that. And New South Wales government, too, to its credit, had a behind the scenes role. The De- development of Barangaroo Development Authority was pushing quite hard. And if you talk to them, they'll say, no, we, we were the ones driving that. And Len Lease will say, we were the ones. And I, I don't care who gets the headline. The outcome that's, 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 is, that's is an apolitical. <laughs> absolutely. And it, it, yeah. it should be apolitical. The outcome is, is a fantastic one. Yeah. The point Monica makes about training on ground, again, one of the barriers that we found in the ecosystem was, well, can the crews on the job site work with this different material? Because they've always done it the way they've always done it. Now, I, I, I don't see training as an insurmountable barrier. It, it is a, a hurdle. But when capability building is part of it, part of the mix, again, it's an ecosystem. There's no, no quick fix. Yeah. There's no reason people can't learn new skills. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, it, I think it's that thing. You can see what, see what the, the, the end goal looks like and it's, it's exactly. fascinating. Len Lease has got a great example with the, 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 the timber, engineered timber building that sits on the Hickson Road side of the Barangaroo site. And they brought out their colleagues from the UK who had erected a similar building to train up their site foremen and so on, their supervisors and their hands-on crews so that we could do it here in Australia. So there's definitely a need, there's definitely an urgency. Tell us about MacLine and what you're doing to start addressing this through the, you know, the launch on the founding partners and, and the, and the sure vast thing. group of people. So we, we gave the introduction saying with WWF, the Renewable Energy Buyers Forum has morphed into the Business Renewable Centre Australia. That's an example of, you know, a, a commercially focused and an industry-led change with some values-driven facilitation for WWF, we're wanting to replicate that this time. And we've quite consciously invited, spread the word, used as much word of mouth. We spoke at Transform, the the Green Building Council's conference last week. Um, LinkedIn, we're out there pushing it. Fifth Estate, we're out there pushing it to spread the word, to have a coalition of the willing all the way through that supply chain or that value chain from raw material makers, through to the Institute of Architects, we're talking to engineers, we're talking to procurement professionals, talking to government and so on, and local government very much, to bring this coalition together with a recognition we must strip carbon out of our our construction sector and how can we do it. That's broken us and I think there's, so there's an agreed need, there's an identified and volunteered willingness we're now self-organising with a bit of wrangling, but into some working groups. Do you want to? Um, I'll just bring up what those working we've groups. We've got are. Um, five working groups that we've established, and so these these are people. We have about a hundred people who have participated in our meetings. We had three meetings since the launch of our report, and we've you know, with agreed purpose and principles. 
and we've, we've set up these working groups. So number one is the demand side response. So that's very promising, 100 plus organization, you know, willing to participate. Uh, that's that's got to be, you know. Uh, Absolutely. All the way from, you know, your steel and cement and other materials through to your consulting engineers and your constructors and the financiers, architects and government agencies, you know, all through that ecosystem. Our second working group is around determining, you know, what are those best practice tools and measures and guides. Uh, working group three is about capturing that knowledge base, the case studies. We want to hear from the organisations that have actually been doing it. Because you so often hear, oh, geez, we couldn't, couldn't change a cement mix in a footpath or a road or a bridge. It's never been done before. Well, <laughs> actually, chances are it has been done. We really want it to be documented in a, you know, a trusted repository so that whoever's advocating for that change on, on a new project can reference what was done. Well, you gave an earlier example. I did. So many years ago, I worked as the sustainability manager on the first Sydney Metro in, um, project, and I was working with um, some of the contract engineers on on looking at cement, and I wanted to, to, to bottom out, could we change the mix to reduce Portland cement, which is the high carbon intensity component of, of cement, and we, we identified that the pillars on the Anzac Bridge had been made with 65% ground granulated blast furnace slag. It's a bit of a mouthful, but anyway, a waste industrial product to offset the, the carbon intensive um, Portland cement. And it actually had some amazing co-benefits that suited that bridge. It's much more resistant to the corrosion from salt water, for instance. Now I'd done some homework. I had the, the materials data sheet with me. And so when I was raising this with some of the design engineers, the first response was, oh, mate, you're not an engineer. You wouldn't understand. We, we've, we couldn't do that. We've never done it that way. Sorry about putting on a silly voice. But the answer was, well, actually, right out there, look out that window. There's the Anzac Bridge. It has been done. And here's the material data sheet. Oh, really? Oh, oh, that's from Arab. Oh, I trust Arab. Okay. <laughs> and off we went. Now, it's, you know, if we can have that, that knowledge base so that that conversation gets easier every time because, oh, well, it was the Anzac Bridge, oh, it was the Toowoomba runway. Um, and we've heard from Wagner's Cement, one of the, you know, I suppose leaders in this field, they have an alternative product, but lots of people haven't heard about it and don't trust it because they haven't heard about it. How can we shift that? That's fascinating. That's fine. It's just bringing all those projects to, to life, whether they've been done a year ago or, ten or 20 years ago. Uh, there is some benefits oh. to be gained, and, and otherwise we don't learn from the past, and that's the biggest failure. Yeah. Exactly. And, and national operators, my previous role at Stockland was in the, the residential part of the business, again in a sustainability role, and I knew on some projects around Australia a certain cement had been used in a footpath, but in other areas the local government saying, oh, no, 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 that won't work, we won't accept that well, wouldn't it be great if there was this easily accessible knowledge bank to say, well, no, 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 here were the objections last time. This is how we got over it. These are the lessons learned. This is what you need to do. I think that can help accelerate change. I was at last Wednesday night at the Concrete Institute. And, uh, Exciting <laughs> evening. <laughs> at Kimberley House. And you know, it was on sustainability and, you know, they said two years ago you'd never have the turnout that they had. They had about 45, you know, engineers. And it was a case study of the Roselle interchange. 
there for the West Connects project, and there were presenters from you know the head of the trans sustainability and transport New South Wales. There was the constructors or John Holland CPB collaboration, and then Borrell Innovation Lead in the Invista, I think their, their product. And so th the three of them spoke about you know the, the net carbon story and why New South Wales government is really driving this. The construction engineers and Borel, how they all partnered up to look at what the different products are for the non-permanent parts of the construction, and they were then testing. They were road testing, working with their subbies, looking at how the uh, concrete that was being laid down was, uh, uh, and they would compare it with the Portland cement there. They used glass sand. You know, there were so many ways that they were testing the different kinds of products, including with plastic strips. So that, that, that to me is like the perfect example of a collaboration where they're able to drive that. If we can capture that yeah. and put it not just in the permanent, but, you know, slowly we want to see the standards and general practice change that we start to get. And it's just a matter of, you know, doing one successful project, promoting it, making the public aware of it, and then that creates the interest for the next council, right. the next government to do something similar. And then the snowball effect then begins. Yeah, yeah and I think the, the, the thing that keeps on coming back is just the, the intensely collaborative nature, nature of, of the whole project because it's actually saying this problem is bigger than... than all of our exactly. individual issues, you know, these are these are you know, these are whole world issues, not even first world, second world, third world. Yeah. Absolutely, but I think also one of the one of the key points to to come back to is that this is this is a huge opportunity. This isn't a, a net zero game. So sorry, it's not a, a zero sum game. It is a net zero game. We want net zero. Hearing me, we want net zero. We definitely want net zero. It's not a zero sum game. The Nobody, this isn't about going without. This is, isn't about big stick regulation. This is about the industry recognizing that, well, if, if the global market for funds is divesting from carbon intense investment um, categories, investment classes, where are they going to put their money? Let's build things that they want to put their money in. So in terms of competitive finance, there's that driver. From a, an employment point of view, Christoph, you were talking about local supply chain opportunities. Many of these materials are very heavy. They are locally specific. But we know that just like divestment from, from old carbon intensive industries, that has a big impact on, on communities and, and employment. So finding the, the low emission employment alternatives, this can fill some of those gaps without without question. That's a nice term, low, low emission um, employment opportunities like that, yeah. Yeah, and so, and also what I mentioned about, you know, the footplate gain, if, if we're designing, if we're dematerializing and designing fit for purpose buildings, then there's, there are commercial benefits as well. So, and, and I also think once, once designers and architects and procurement professionals start thinking to include carbon along with time, cost and quality, other sustainability benefits can, you know, join that bandwagon. And so the idea of, you know, healthy, um, productive workplaces that are, you know, are just better places to hang out, better places to be, I think that brings co-benefits with it as well. So emphatically, I really see this as, as a challenging opportunity, but not just a, you know, not just a challenge.
So now we've had some uh, some founding partners already coming on board. You we have. To, yeah. Yes. Just in inter inter interest of time, we're already down to 40 minutes. Excellent. It was, it oh, was well, really, I, I really quick. So. We can talk for a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So before we forget, I just wanted to mention we've got two other, the working group four is on common language. That's right, yeah. So that's And that's important. a very important element of everyone understanding the same story. That's right. Uh, because you can talk engineer and nobody understand them. You can talk procurement, nobody understand them. You can talk about policies and is, we need to bring everything to a common language where everyone agrees to that, what, what is what, what trying what to achieve. What is it that you ask that's for right, in your yeah, tender plain, that yeah. doesn't create unintended consequences? Correct, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really important as well. And then the other working groups under working group five are, are our materials sectors, so our concrete, our other materials, which might include timber and steel. So, you know, just It's great that we've got those companies at the table because they're a really important part of that conversation. We don't have, we mustn't underestimate how complex, for example, with the steel manufacturing it is here in Australia with, you know, two major companies, uh, with Blue Scope Steel, for example, and, you know, their technology with the upgrade, the need to upgrade their blast furnaces and, you know, how that decision-making tree occurs and what happens over the next five years will determine the decarbonisation process for a lot of our construction sector. So, you know, what role does the finance sector play in that? You know, there are multiple levers in there as well. And before we just, before we get on to who those founding partners are to date. I also wanted to mention that uh, innovation and innovative materials is going to be a really important part of this story as well. Now, I've had, you know, a few people already knock on my door. They are innovators. Australia is full of backyards, you know, guys mostly, but not always, in their shed tinkering here and there. I mean, we're known as being very good innovators, not necessarily that good at taking it to market. But if we can create some challenges, you know, imagine. So we don't necessarily need to have a steel bin. We could That's have right. a product attribute that is as strong or even stronger than steel, have the weight, and reusing waste material to build it. That's exactly, exactly right. And look, look at global aviation to see the way composites are replacing aluminium as this as the standard material for the airframe um, that's changing not saying we build buildings out of composites necessarily but yeah it doesn't have to be built as the way they have been we can look at innovative alternatives so we need to find room in our Meckler conversation to have that and we know that you know there is a part to the New South Wales government contracts to drive that innovation no, I agree and, yeah. bring and bringing forward. a whiteboard thinking so if we had to do it from scratch let's forget that we have steel timber aluminium mm. metal and all that we also have a lot of waste material what can we do with this mm -hmm. you know that's right so in terms of the the, the, the founder the founders do you want to Terrific. So um, Lendlease has been a big uh, supporter of this. When we started our background research, we, we realised that Lendlease was also conducting a very similar piece of research, targeted mainly at its suppliers, um, but very much complementary. And so we've been in, a, I guess, a brains trust ever since to, to share ideas and to, to, drive, to, to drive this and to keep, keep us commercially oriented, to keep it industry-based. Um, so we've got Lend-Lease. We've got the Green Building Council of Australia, the Sustainability 
uh, Supply Chain Sustainability School. Oricon has lent its brand and support to this as well. Um, BVW Global, have you heard of those guys? I think I've heard about those guys. Apparently, they specialize in procurement and cost management. Apparently, they're quite good at that, I've heard. Um, Inertia is also part of it. Energy Estate, Pangolin Associates, um, New South Wales Government, um, certainly, and Climate Kick, the Climate Knowledge and Innovation Community, and the Footprint Company. So there's quite, yeah, there's, I've been talking with several of the, um, the constructors and we're very, we've got a lot of anticipation that they will sign up. I don't want to prejudice any internal commercial decisions that are going on in the meantime, but many of the, the, the master plan developers, the, um, I suppose diverse portfolio property developers are in the conversation. Couple more of the builders and some of the suppliers, as well, several of the suppliers as well. That's right. It's so very much a watch this space. Because we're looking to launch on the twenty second of April. Fantastic. Uh, with our website, with a video, and you know it's uh, just in time for the Biden climate summit. So we'll be early earlier than the Biden summit as it, as the sun goes around the globe, and that's Earth Day, of course. So Fantastic. that's going to be an exciting time too. And do we have any uh, uh, government endorsement, or is this going to be um, supported by any ministers? Or, or? oh, we hope we're expecting that to to happen. So you'll have to watch this space. Christoph, it's uh, we're work- we're working on it. <laughs> I mean, it's certainly an incredibly uh, exciting concept and and, and needed uh, uh, initiative as well. And, and I suppose uh, the question I, I pose on behalf of some of the procurement professionals who are listening is how can they learn more? You know, how can they find out more? Because I'm sure a number of the people who listen to this podcast regularly will be inspired to go back into their organisations and say. Is this something we should get involved in? So what's the best way for people who might be interested to to find out more or get in touch? Get in with touch you? with us. Yeah. yeah. So is there, a, is there a, a, an email address or we can Website put that? Website yeah. or? Um, if, you, if they get in touch with me, M for Monica, Richter, R-I-C-H-T-E-R at www.org.au. That's not World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> by the way, <laughs> although we are wrestling a few problems. Yeah, right. And there's, you know, there's quite a bit of sweat equity involved in this as well. So, you know, for organisations that want to participate, um, they've got to jump on board and really help us. If it's providing case studies, really helping us to, yeah. to drive some of those out. I mean, and and to raise some of the barriers, if there's, if there's a reason that a particular procurement specialist says, actually, no, I'm not going to put my neck out to change a certain material. Tell us why, because we want we don't want people sticking their necks out. We want people changing with an informed position. That's the business case stacks up, the the life cycle assessment stacks up, the you know the engineering stacks up. It it has to work and it has to be repeatable. It can't just be a philanthropic gesture that says, oh, we'll we'll build this particular thing out of low emission cement and we'll see how it goes. No, no, no. This is evidence-based, staged and replicable. It's about the science, isn't it? So, yeah. Look, I think that is a fantastic insight. Certainly, I've learned that. We'll definitely put a link to resources uh, into the the podcast description. One of the things that I would add is we are planning a a procurement masterclass um, to help the members of MECLA 
to understand, well, what does this mean from a procurement point of view? We may have design and architecture as we go, but we'll, we'll start with procurement so that, um, so that our members and hopefully new members can hear, okay, this is what it means from a procurement perspective. That's right. And you just gave me an idea for that masterclass. So we'll talk a little bit about collaborative procurement and what this entails, especially when people are donating their time to help you. Uh-huh. Uh, how do you manage that information flow so it keeps coming without being a burden on someone Absolutely just right. giving time? Yes. Otherwise, we're just going to hit the roadblock. Yes. And we'll talk also about uh, innovative procurement as well and how to approach this within government agencies. Yeah. Yes. Look forward to it. That's brilliant. Well, thank you, Monica. Thank you very much. Thanks for the uh, invitation. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Hudson as well. Thanks, Christoph. And Christoph. Thank you, indeed. Thank you, Monica. Hudson. Cheers. Thank you for listening to the Procurement Podcast with Andy and Christoph. For more information, please visit our website, procurementpodcast.com, and feel free to email us your questions at info at procurementpodcast.com.